Everybody awake now? I grew up in the early glory days of space travel. If you're my age or older, you remember them well. When I was a little kid, I was fascinated like everybody else with the Gemini and the Mercury programs that initially put men into orbit around the Earth. Then I was, that was followed up when I was in middle school by the uh, surveyor probes that soft landed then on the moon. And then in my early high school years, watching with just incredible awe as the Apollo program put the first man on the moon. And then you remember the later missions, they actually put a vehicle there so they could drive it around on the moon. <laughs> yeah, those were days when our whole nation came to a standstill to watch each rocket launch. Now, some of you here are old enough to remember how Walter Cronkite, with solemn confidence, walked us through the countdown and then with restrained dignity described and helped us appreciate the spectacular awe of the rocket's launch up into the air. Today, we're not very impressed with all that. Do you realize that the launches that put satellites up in orbit, that put a uh, new crew up in the uh, space station, we're lucky if that even makes the evening news. But folks, there's a launch that's just about ready to occur that's going to rivet the attention of everybody that's in this room. We won't be able to ignore it. We will not accidentally miss it. Because instead of being a casual spectator about it, each of us gets to buckle up and be a passenger on the rocket that's taking off. See, as a church, we get to have the shared experience of launching with our new senior pastor, Matt Nagel. The launch date is set, as Dave mentioned, at the start of the service for mid-September. Now, as with any literal rocket launch, the weeks prior are filled with intense preparations as all the systems are checked out. And everybody knows that a successful launch does not occur just simply because one person pushes a button. No, there is a coordinated team that's working through all the details and, if necessary, to troubleshoot on the fly. So, since we are at the same time, both the launch team and the passengers, what we're going to do is take the next three Sundays, today is one of them, to work our way through what does it mean to launch well with our new senior pastor. Now, I've had the privilege to be involved in five launches over the last 10 years so far. What I have learned is that there is some information we need to get into our heads. There are some adjustments we need to make in our hearts. And then there are some practical things we will need to do with our hands. This morning, we're going to start with the most obvious issue. And then over the coming weeks, we're going to work our way to some very subtle ones. So what is the most apparent matter that's on the table? Well... If you consider Lakewood to be your church family, then you're about ready to face the challenge of change. I did a Google search and just to find out what's, what the, what's the world out there saying about change. How are they describing it? 
Well, here are a few for you to think about. Because things are the way they are, things will not stay the way they are. (laughs) Or how about if you do not change direction, you may end up where you're headed. (laughs) Bruce Barton, when you're through changing, you're through. Kathleen Norris, disconnecting from change does not recapture the past, it loses the future. Or how about most people prefer the certainty of misery to the misery of uncertainty? Or here's one of my favorites, change sneaks up on you like a windshield on a bug. You kind of have to think about that one for a minute. So what kind of reactions are you having on the inside to the coming changes that are going to occur? And isn't it true that our attitude about change really is determined by if I'm initiating it, then I'm all for it, but if someone else is imposing it on me, then we get very resistant to it. So how can we avoid either one of the extremes? either resisting change and treating it like it's an enemy to us, or on the other hand, embracing change blindly, almost as if we just should pitch discernment out the window. I think it'd be very helpful for us this morning to watch how one man grappled with some incredible change that was dropped in his lap from Exodus chapter 3. Grab your Bibles, open your devices, if you would, to Exodus 3. We are going to look at how and what Moses experienced as God broke into his life. And we're going to notice that there are three important truths for us today, how we can face the challenge of change. Now, anytime you open your Bible uh, to the middle of some book, it's always good to look at the background. It's always important to understand what just happened before what I'm reading. So, for example, look at verse 1, chapter 3 of Exodus. It begins with these words, now Moses. So we're put on alert. There is an individual we need to pay attention to. Okay, what's going on in Moses' life right now? Well, we know he's about 80 years old. We know that he spent the first 40 of his years in Egypt as part of the elite ruling class. So this adopted son of an Egyptian princess had at his disposal in those early years of his life incredible perks. He had the finest education that was available in the known world at that time. He had immense popularity, he had tremendous influence, and he had unlimited opportunity in front of him. But for those of you who know your Old Testament history well, you know that Moses made a slight mistake. No, actually, he killed somebody. (laughs) Um, And so he has to run for his life. And so the next 40 years of his life are spent out in the desert, out in the wilderness. So as we come to Exodus chapter 3, the man who used to be in the spotlight is all but forgotten. The man whose voice could command anything that he wanted is now spending his days yelling at sheep. The man who used to be in control is now having to work for his father-in-law. Anybody in a family business understand that? The potential for advancement has evaporated. So in Exodus chapter 3, it's a very ordinary day out in the wilderness. 
Moses is probably leaning on his staff, just watching the sheep, when suddenly a bush nearby bursts into flames. And without forewarning, without forewarning, God breaks into his life. How is it described? Exodus 3, beginning at verse 1. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He, Moses, looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And so Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he, God, said, do not come near, take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Folks, don't, don't overlook something. Moses wasn't looking for change. He had no plans to do anything more than just keep the woolies in line. So for the last four decades, he's been minding his own business. And yet right here we see the first truth, that God-directed change immerses my smaller story up into God's larger story. You see, most of us, when we're challenged by change, we're challenged by it because we've got a problem. The problem is that we think our smaller story is the story. So change is an inconvenience to the plot line I want to see lived out in my story. We have expectations on how our storyline will go, and change appears to disrupt it. It appears to throw it all into chaos. But folks, God is faithful. But do you know him that he's notoriously unpredictable? <laughs> he loves to introduce 90-degree turns at the very moment that we are convinced that we can see how our future stretches all the way to the horizon and there are no curves. Right about that time, <laughs> we go to the right or the left. Let me give you some examples of this. I mean, it's all over the scriptures. This kind of stuff happens. But let me just give you a few to chew on. For example, Genesis 12, God abruptly tells Abraham to set out on an extended camping trip. And by the way, Abraham, do not bother taking a map. I will tell you where to go, and then I'll tell you when you get there. I don't think Sarah was very happy about that time. How about 1 Samuel 16? The prophet Samuel sees the sons of Jesse and looks at the very first one and says, oh, wow, here is the new king. And yet God disrupts all of that. And it's not until his youngest son, David, is brought in from the sheep or being a shepherd that then they anoint the next king. Or how about Jesus Christ himself? Mark chapter 1, he approaches two very successful fishermen. Peter and Andrew invites them to drop everything, walk away from their business, and follow him. Folks, our God loves to initiate, to create change 
in our lives. And he always does it, though, in a way where we are invited to see our smaller story be blended up into his larger one. So God isn't haphazard about things. He invites us to embrace his purposes. Nothing haphazard about all this. Nothing haphazard about his initiatives. So what was his purpose with Moses? Well, he describes it there in verse 6 for us. He says, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He reminds Moses that there is this larger story that's been going on for hundreds of years. In fact, hold your finger here in Exodus 3. Back up, if you would, to Genesis 15. Go to the first book of your Bible. Genesis 15. Look at how even way back here, God's larger story is being described. Genesis 15, starting at verse 13. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. Wow. So the change that God was initiating with Moses was in line with his will. He had told Abraham about it hundreds and hundreds of years prior to this bush-burning experience in Exodus 3. And he was inviting Moses to see how his smaller story was going to fit into this larger one that he already had plans. By the way, just a little sidebar here real quick. What's happening to Israel, the whole nation of Israel, is the ultimate interim experience. Joseph was the leader at the front end when Israel came down into Egypt 400 years, and then Moses would be the leader that would take Israel out. But between those two men was 400 years of waiting. Folks, be glad that between Steve Anderson and me, you've only had to wait two years, not 400. But again, God is going to initiate change in line with what his word says is his will. In other words, when the Bible describes what God wants to see for his people, God will launch whatever changes are necessary to accomplish his agenda, to accomplish his plans. So when dramatic change occurs, it actually presents us with a window to see past the distracting clutter of our little stories and gain clarity on how God wants to immerse us in His incredible plans, His incredible purposes. So count on it, the coming changes that will happen as a new senior pastor comes to Lakewood is revealing something. God is on. There is something larger and more wonderful than just a new pastor arriving. God is inviting every single one of us in this room to immerse our small stories up into his larger one, to even immerse our church's small story up into his larger one that he has for us. So the question is, are we open to God's initiative? I know about you, but I like things cozy. And sometimes change disrupts that. 
Most of us like things to be very predictable. Change upsets that. God wants us to walk by faith. God wants us to trust him one day at a time. God's unfolding larger story involves his church, which is us as part of his larger pan-national church, penetrating this generation with the gospel. Folks, are we in? He wants his church to progressively become more like Jesus Christ. Folks, are we in? He wants his church to glorify him as we serve the needs of others in our community. Are we in? God-directed change is going to invite us to immerse our smaller story into his larger one. But there's a second important truth to see from this engagement of God and Moses that will help us with the challenge of change. Look at verse 7. Then the Lord said, Moses, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have gone, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land. Notice, God is speaking to Moses about his wonderful plans for his people. He is going to rescue them. He is going to bring them out of Egypt. He is going to take them to the promised land. There's the truth right there. God-directed change is for our good. Now, sometimes we struggle with that because some of the changes that we are facing, maybe even today, appear highly threatening to us. But when God's in it, The change is ultimately for our good. Notice, look at the verbs that God uses about himself. He cares about his people. He is intimately aware of his people's suffering, their struggles, their heartaches, and his directed changes are designed to rescue, to deliver, and to satisfy them. Okay, are we separated several thousand years from this story? Absolutely we are, but folks, it is no different than for us. God has been intimately aware of the struggles at Lakewood in the recent years. Folks, he knows about the painful choices that have wounded. He knows of the disagreements that we've had that have caused division. He's aware of people that unfortunately felt like they had to leave. He is aware of some of the contentious congregational meetings that have, that have, that have been had. Our God has seen, our God has heard, he knows, he has come. And it's important to remember that for the dramatic changes, some of those that have just splashed on us, it can make us feel like we are a trapeze artist in a dense fog. That we are being asked to let go of one bar, fly through the air, and we can't see what we're going to grasp next, but dearly hope that it's going to meet us at the right time in the right place feel like that. The key in all of this, the key in all of this is do I believe that God's good? Wasn't that wonderful last Sunday to be reminded of that by Matt from Psalm 73? It's not just found in Psalm 73. Here's a few more. Psalm 119, 68, you are good and do good. Psalm 86, 5, 
For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Or how about Psalm 145, beginning at verse 7? They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and His mercy is over all that He has made. But are we challenged to believe that? That when God's hand is in it, we can embrace change in the confidence that is leading us to something good. See, many of us are here this morning, and maybe we're like Israel. Maybe for some here this morning, you feel like you're in bondage. You're really suffering. For some, it's, it is external, but probably for most, it's internal. That deep inside, you feel like a prisoner. You feel like a slave. You feel like you're not free. The need for healing, the need for freedom is very real for you. But it's not just for you. This is what God wants to do for our community. There are people out there that are just like Israel in the sense of they are feeling in bondage. They are struggling. They feel like a prisoner. They feel like a slave. They need to be set free from all of that, and they won't until they hear the gospel from us. God wants to do some good stuff in us and then all around us. Remember Christ's words, John 10, 10, I have come that they might have life and they might have it abundantly. Folks, that is for us that is for the Brainerd Lakes area. Or how about 2 Corinthians 5.17? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So God directed change. It's going to ask us to immerse our smaller story up into his larger one. And God directed change? Yeah, it's for our good. But if we look at Exodus 3, we'll find that there's one more truth to see in this passage. You know, as God was describing all this good stuff that He was going to do for Israel, I'm sure Moses on the inside was going, yeah, yeah, yeah. God described the rescue He was going to do. God described the deliverance He was going to do. He described that there's a good land that they're going to go to. I, I don't know, but maybe Moses started pumping his fist and said, yeah, it's about time. And then God pulls the unexpected. Look at verse 10. Come, Moses, I will send you. I think there are emotional skid marks in the story about right now with Moses. Moses, you're my man. Moses, you're the job is yours. And right there's the third truth, folks. God-directed change calls for the best that I can give. Now, we're not going to go there this morning, but those of you who know your Old Testament history, you know, starting from verse 13 to the rest of the chapter, Moses had a problem with this statement by God. Because Moses was thinking that he was a failure. Moses was thinking that his life was a complete train wreck. He's thinking of all the wasted years that he's had. He doesn't see himself as qualified, but that's not what God's thinking. 
In divine providence, God had not only used his early years in Egypt to prepare Moses, now he had also in the last four decades used the wilderness as a training time to put the final touches, the finishing touches on his man. Could you be here this morning and you're caught up in Moses thinking? Are you caught up in verse 11? Who am I? Are you focused on your failures? Are you focused on your mistakes? Are you focused on your weaknesses? Do you consider yourself unqualified, set aside, irredeemable? That's not what God thinks. The power of the risen Christ within us changes our identity. Your past in Christ no longer defines who you are. Now, it may direct you, but it no longer defines you. Again, remember 2 Corinthians 5.17. Do we believe it that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Don't overlook it, folks. God-directed changes are always worked out through his people. Folks, there is no plan B God has. It's us or it's not going to happen. So buckle up for the coming launch. We can expect, you can expect, the Holy Spirit to be tapping you on the shoulder because change is in the air. He did it with Moses. He's doing it and is going to do it to all of us. I, verse 10, am sending you, because the mission of God always involves God's people. And there's no plan for some to be spectators, rather all to be participants. So God wants to use every single one of us here in this room this morning as part of the changes that are coming to Lakewood. He wants each one of us to give the best we can regardless of your age, regardless of your spiritual maturity, regardless of of how long you've been here, whether you're a member or not, that stuff doesn't matter. But I do want to speak to one specific issue. Some potentially are thinking, well, you know what, I think I'm going to wait and see how Matt does before I commit. Folks, we are to be and to act like the church, regardless of who the pastor is. Our involvement in other people's lives and serving them is for our Savior, not for a pastor. So let me be very clear. A wait-and-see mentality is a self-serving mentality. And Exodus 3 invites us to respond like Moses to what God is doing in our midst. Folks, do you realize that one of the best gifts that we can give Matt is that he arrives and looks around and we're functioning as the church should. We're not waiting for anything. Matt, get on board. Run. Join us. What a gift that would be to him. To face the challenge of change. 
means we give God our unreserved availability. Did you notice the one thing I love about Moses? Um, yeah, Moses has got weaknesses, sure, and we, we're quick to point them out. But did you see in verse 4 his instinctive reaction when God called his name? What was it? Here I am. So I think this morning what I want to do is close us in prayer. And with each of these next sermons, we're going to pray in, in some unique physical ways. But without threatening you too much, we'll just do something very simple this morning. In just a moment as we pray, I would like to invite you to put your Bible down or, or the, anything you're holding in your hands and put your hands in your lap and just turn your palms up as a physical expression of here I am. And would you pray with me these words? Let's pray. Lord, here I am. It makes me nervous, but I want to give you my unreserved availability. Lord, would you launch us together? And in the change that you're going to be bringing, would you help me to immerse my smaller story into your larger one? Thank you for reminding me of that this morning, that your story has got the capital T and the capital S, not mine. Father, help me to immerse my smaller story into the marvelous expanse of your larger one that I can't even imagine it. Father, would you also help me to believe that the coming change is for my good. It's for the good of us as a church. It's for the good of this community. And Father, Lord, may I give you the best I've got so that as a church, we might launch well into a new season of Christ-honoring ministry. Lord, that's our bold prayer this morning. And we offer ourselves up to you in this way, in the name of Jesus Christ, our loving Savior, in which we pray it all. Amen.